2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. I appreciate it very much, Carl. Thank you. We do begin with breaking news. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Take a look at the major sell off underway on Wall Street at this hour. The Dow Jones Industrial Average now down by 800 points, slightly off the lowest levels of the session. But elsewhere, there is carnage all over the place. Take a look. The S&P 500 down three percent. It's the Nasdaq down nearly three and a half percent as a significant amount of selling continues to take place within tech. It certainly feels like an all hands on deck kind of day. Luckily, we do have the committee with us today, along with some special guests. Let's talk about who's joining us today for the hour. Bryn Talkington is here, along with Rob Seachin, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, and John Najarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, is here as well. On the eve of the critical Fed meeting, Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research joining in a moment. Tom Lee joining us just a little bit later on. But there is your up-to-the-minute Market picture. Rob Sechin, I go to you uh, first. As I said, there's carnage all over the place. You have technical damage. You have the VIX at 35. You have Bitcoin at 34. What are you telling your clients at this moment?
3: Uh, We came into the uh, end of the year thinking the markets would sell off, Scott, and holding some extra cash. And while we don't think the worst is behind us, we definitely think uh, there are stocks to buy today. And we'd spend about a quarter to a third of that cash today Um, as global growth and negative rates will eventually carry the day. And we also think that How threads the needle controlling inflation and not doing too much damage to growth. And markets are doing some of that for him already.
2: Steve Weiss, I got 78 percent of the S&P down 10 percent or more from 52 week highs. I've got the Arc complex down today uh, by some 8 percent. Kramer at 1034 this morning, so about an hour and a half ago, says nine to one down. And maybe it's a little bit to Rob's point. Must buy, even if you hate it hate in all caps. How do you see the market here, Steve?
4: You know what? I hate losing money worse than I hate missing a stock that that may rally five percent from here. I'm still negative. I sold a little bit more this morning. I came in, you know, with a boatload of cash and and being short the indices, which I mentioned on Friday and some other names, high price names like Roblox. I don't think we're done yet. And what's most troubling is now we're seeing numbers come in, economic numbers like the PMI that came in a little light today. We're seeing that in Europe as well. So we're not there. You could have the worst of both situations here, which the Fed has to control inflation, has to raise rates. Yet the market, if you take a look at the bond market, it's telling you the economy's slowing. So you have rates going up while the economy is going down. That's not a great combination. So I prefer to stay in the sidelines. And I'd like to see the market consolidate before I start putting cash to work. I'm in no hurry.
2: Brynn, how much more pain do you think we have to endure before you feel comfortable buying some stocks, if not now being the time?
5: I mean, I think that, well, first of all, the market is doing the Fed's bidding. And so, you know, the irony is the Fed is still buying bonds and quantitative easing. But the market is priced in not only four rate hikes, but I feel quite the market's priced in a a really hawkish quantitative tightening. I think that what's not priced in and, you know, Steve talked a bit about it and so did Rob, is that ultimately growth could slow this year, which which with the market already bursting this 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 bubble in high growth names or calling it a crash in these high growth names, what have you. I think that at these levels, in the high growth names. If you're not looking at these high growth names, the real ones that are gonna be sustainable, I think you're gonna miss out on a big opportunity. And so, you know, we're, we obviously own Arc. We have a, a position in there. We're looking at that technical, technically to see a good entry point. But I do think that when no one wants to touch these, when no one wants to own them, there are some really good companies that are not only gonna survive this, but thrive. But it doesn't feel good today. And this is typically these kind of markets where you have to kind of close your eyes, plug your nose and do a little buying.
2: But to be clear, um, has the time to buy some of those ARC names come yet? It sounds to me like you're suggesting not necessarily, even though you're a holder of these and you've been writing them down and they've been punished so severely.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I bought I bought a little bit of Zoom last week. And so, as you know, I've been looking at these names Obviously, listen to a lot of what Kathy says around those names and then obviously doing our own research. I think a name like Zoom, which is down what 65%, you know, Zoom's revenue, Zoom is a profitable, cash-flowing earnings company. Zoom's is not a draft king. Zoom's is not a pets.com, Zoom is not a Peloton. It is a real cloud platform. And so I think there's gonna be some names here, like a Zoom that I started nibbling on last week. I mean, I bought it I think at 156. I don't know, where is it in the 130s? Uh, But as these stocks go down 60, 70, 80 percent, that's when you start looking to buy them. And, you know, we own Arc. We'll see when we buy some more when we when we across our book of business. But for for last week, I started buying a little bit of Zoom.
2: Okay. so Joe Terranova, I see you today as a, a buyer and a seller. And you can tell me what that says about your broader view, if anything, or if it's just a specific stock related thing. You bought CVS. And you bought Northrop Grumman. We could talk about the stocks you sold because there's some name brands in there. But tell me why you decided to buy those two stocks. And you can start with CVS first. I think there are people trying to pick through the carnage, as Kramer was suggesting. You know, when you get nine to one down, sometimes you just have to buy. I mean, that's what history has suggested. So take me through it if you could.
6: Okay. so if you look over my left shoulder on my whiteboard, I have three letters, V, U and L. And that's basically what I see when this process right now, where investors are focused on equity risk and they're de-risking currently, they're now going to suggest, okay, where am I going in a recovery? And CVS CVS falls clearly in the V-shaped potential recovery. There's other names in there, Berkshire Hathaway, Merck, I already own it, Bank of America's in there, uh, Honeywell, UNH, and then another name- that I bought today was Northrop government. The other two letters, unfortunately, Scott, investors have not grown accustomed to this in the last 10 years. And that's the U-shaped recovery, that's your non-profitable tech, that's your consumer discretionary, and then the L is your pandemic-specific beneficiaries. And you don't want the U, you don't want the L names. The market characteristic has changed so dramatically. There's this paradigm shift. You want to focus on names that you potentially can see a V-shaped recovery, and those are not the names that markets have rewarded the last couple of years.
2: But I'm looking at some of the things you sold, though, and they don't suggest to me that they would fall within the L. Uh, Chipotle, you sold. Regents Financial, you sold. Mm-hmm. Waste Management and TJX. Why those names? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Uh, Scott, those names I've sold, I haven't seen you since last Wednesday. All four of those names are stopouts. All four of those names are cutting losses. Just as last time I saw you, I said you could buy the Qs and Adobe and CrowdStrike with tight stops. I bought all of them. I got stopped out of all of them. I'm trying to keep the losses very, very small right now. But for the viewers who are focusing rightly on taking advantage with a long-term view of the dramatic decline you're seeing right now, I think creating these baskets and understanding – what potential recovery shape it's going to look like is going to benefit you. And in the V shape, it's got to be a company that's got a low beta, high margin profitability and a much cheaper valuation than markets historically rewarded. So, Dr.
2: J, you're you're like my sideline um, reporter on on a day like this, right? You're down on the field. you, You see the action almost tick by tick and you trade it that way rather than some of the others who are you know, maybe looking at you know, the longer term, the next game, what the next couple of games look like. So I got the VIX, I said, at, at 34, 35. I mean, it's obviously spiking. What are you watching most specifically? And perhaps even more importantly than what you're watching, what are you actually doing down on the field today?
7: Well, um, and thank you for that, Scott. The, uh, uh, the VIX overall, um, yeah, it hit nearly 38 today. That's the highest level since January 27th a year ago. Um, So we're only three days off of a year in the rearview mirror of when we were last at this level. Now, I thought this was interesting. There were a lot of folks that probably have some sort of a mandate, Scott, um, when they're managing institutional money to have some sort of protection. And those were some of the folks that were buying upside calls in the VIX, somebody Bought 69,000 of the February 110 calls. And in the February uh, contract, the future for February, because each one of these, of course, is a different future. Um, but that future uh, was trading at about 31 at the time. And they're buying the 110s. You know, that's somebody that just needs to have uh, that conversation that said, hey, I had some protection on. It didn't work. Because that one, I don't know how the heck that one's going to work for them, Scott. There were others that were very aggressively um, providing some sort of protection to the downside. You've heard me talk about the IWM puts that people have been buying for weeks, starting at 224 in the IWM. Today it hit 191, I think, Scott, a little bit ago. I have taken off half that position, rolled the rest down to the 190 strike. Um, The SPY, S-P-Y, similar thing, uh, a lot of puts Uh, In that one, but we're not really seeing the sort of thing that you would see two hours from now, Scott, which is, as we will all discuss, I'm sure margin selling, because a lot of the liquidations that we're seeing right now, whether it's in Bitcoin and the cryptos or whether it's right here in the stock market, a lot of these liquidations are by people pointing and quick clicking and or trading institutionally um, and going through some institutional broker. The stuff that will start hitting in that final hour of trade, I'll be really interested to see what that is, Scott. i got to believe that they're clearing the field for that right now with the trades that you've already described with the Dow down 800 points.
2: You know, we've gotten a lot of commentary, obviously, throughout this day and the prior days on how bad is the selling going to be? Is this the big correction? Are you going to get an even deeper flush? And at moments today, it certainly has had that kind of of feel to it. And maybe that's what you're on the cusp of as we see the markets deteriorate as as our show begins today. You know, one of the voices that was on the network today was Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School who tried to answer the question of how much more selling do we need to endure? Let's listen. I certainly wouldn't be surprised, NASDAQ, uh, to go into bear market territory uh, and the S&P because uh, uh, it is... Top-heavy with tech, probably go into deep correction territory. Uh, as
0: you know, I've been uh, that I've been saying that inflation is much worse than
2: uh, the Fed admits. Even now, that they're way behind the curve, they've got to catch up. I mean, Bryn, you've suggested that the market is doing the Fed's bidding in, in some sense, but the professor and look, we're, we're down about seventeen percent from the highs on the Nasdaq, so you know, bear market. Okay, so do we have a few more percentage points to go? Oftentimes, as all of you know, uh, as well as everybody else, you have a tendency to over correct to the downside. Right. I mean, the elevator down is a lot faster than it is on the way up. Is that the kind of environment we're in? Is the professor right? And he's been pretty much beating that drum that the Fed is going to have to be much more aggressive than people think, because inflation is much worse than the Fed believes.
5: Yeah, well, well, two things, Scott, you know, as we all know, markets ride up an escalator, but come down to your point on an elevator. A lot of these high growth names probably don't get out of that elevator and, and, and flatline. But there will be some some definitely some some ones that come out like it did in the tech bubble bursting. I will say on inflation, I think it's really important you know, CPI measures rate of change. And so if energy was 60 last year and energy is 80 this year, that's a 25 percent rate of change that goes into the CPI number. Though, so, But as energy, just to stick with that, goes from 80 to 80, that delta isn't there anymore. And so I think that the rate of change of inflation will actually start to come down. But the absolute level of inflation, if you raise someone, if Starbucks went from 15 to 20 dollars an hour, that's not coming down, right? And so I think that we will see CPI, that rate of change, come down, but the absolute level will stay higher. So, so I agree with Professor, Professor Siegel, but I don't think the market's really realizing that rate of change should come down in the second half of the year, which I think should help the Fed not be so hawkish that the market's pricing in today that they will be.
2: We'll see. I mean, on that note, you know, Steve Leisman, we're on the eve of this critical Fed meeting, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as we slide even further in the stock market as we head into the meeting, how that may impact how the, the Fed is thinking. And you can make a case, I think, that the, the market has beaten the Fed to the punch, so to speak, in terms of tightening financial conditions. A further slide is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, Steve, is now down by more than 1,000 points. Nasdaq's down four and a half percent. That's a loss of some 600 points that if you are having a, a market event at the same time where you have a slowing economy, as all of the PMIs today would suggest, you could say that the market has beaten the feds to its to its punch. The feds waited such a long time. How does
1: it view all of that? I mean, I think the fed views that the market is doing what it needs to do. For the Fed for Fed policy to be effective, Uh, this is what happens pretty often. Scott is that the the Fed signals it's going to do something; it essentially jawbones out there. Um, You could actually make an argument: what's taken so long? The uh, um, chair pivoted in uh, on 11:30. That was November 30th. You had those hawkish Fed minutes on 12:15, um, or or, sorry, uh, the meeting on 12:15 and the hawkish Fed minutes. And the market has gradually come to this understanding that the Fed will do. You know, considerably more to fight inflation. If you look at our, uh, I'll give you a little preview of our uh, CBC Fed survey for tomorrow. You look at where rates are 1% for next year, uh, for this year, uh, and and one in three eighths, or one, 138 for next year um, <clears throat> on the way to 240 for by 2024. If you look at those three uh those three data points there you go no that's the fed probabilities well there's four so that's a half a point scott more than had been out there is that there there's the chart i'm looking for right there uh and, and and it's a half a point higher than had previously been expected not crazy tight but but the market is gradually coming to the conclusion that um the Fed is going to be tightening by both uh, raising rates and running off its balance sheet, and that market valuations need to adjust to a different kind of Federal Reserve. And you just ask yourself the question, was I better sitting all this out? No, because you started the Nasdaq on March 20th at 7,000. Now you're still, you know, more about double 13,000, just not at 15,000.
2: The the problem, though, Steve, is that it it seems to me that the the Fed has made um, already such a serious blunder if in nothing else, its ability to estimate where inflation truly was. Remember, we had a walk up to the announcement on the taper, which at the time we had said was the most telegraphed taper, perhaps, of all time. And then in such a quick period of time, it seems like we've gone from tapering to tightening, raising rates four times and Rolling off the balance sheet so you get QT, it seems like, and I've said this before, that we went from zero to 800 miles an hour seemingly overnight, and the market has not been able to adjust to that. And it doesn't understand what to make of whether it can trust the Fed to actually get it right rather than make a tremendous
1: policy error at this moment, Steve. You know, I think that's right, Scott. I think that, uh, you know, Powell did very well at fighting the last war. What was the last war? The taper transfer. So the Fed telegraph went very gradual at the idea of telegraphing that it was going to be Tapering, and then maybe down the road, not thinking about thinking about hiking interest rates. Meanwhile, the new war was 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 raging uh, right before the Fed, which was the inflation that came in part from its policies, in part from supply chain problems, in part from the finan- from the fiscal stimulus that was out there. And I think Powell didn't uh, t- really uh, take account of that. I asked him uh, at the last press conference, "Hey, how is it that you're fighting inflation but still adding to the balance sheet?" And he said, basically, because of the market, it is kind of interesting, Scott. In that regard, you can say that what Powell did at that time was open the door, show you that the door was open, shine a light on the door and give those little uh, lights, LED lights that lead up to the door to the market. I'm not sure the market heard precisely what Fed Fed Chair Powell was saying at that time. But you are right. It was late. And this is one of the more dramatic turns from uh, policy uh, from, from not tightening to tightening that I've ever seen. I've, I've obviously been trying to speak to Steve and
2: hearing from you know, people within my Rolodex, one of whom uh, has texted me, and I, I want to get your opinion on this. I'm not going to mention the name of the person, uh, of course, but it, uh, they say, I now feel like we are beginning to discount too much risk. It would be a massive blunder by the Fed to over-rotate on inflation. I think there's a real fear, Steve, as though the Fed is going to do that and make a policy error and not only crash the stock market, but the economy in kind.
1: Well, I will tell you this, Scott, at the moment, the, uh, the Fed survey we're going to show tomorrow, i you tell you what I know now, which is that uh, inflation is going to be higher, uh, the Fed is going to do more, the stock market is going to be lower, but the economy so far Looks like it's in there. And there's a lot of things, Scott, that are going to happen to this economy that are not going to be really contingent, I think, upon what the Fed does. And I'll tell you why. Look at what's happening with the automobile sector right now. It's at 12 or 13 million annual units. Why? Because of a chip shortage. That chip shortage goes away. You're going to run up to 14, 15, maybe 16 million units eventually, regardless of what happens to financing. Housing will be hurt by this. Consumers uh, have low unemployment. They've had decent wage gains. I also think there's the possibility that um, the Federal Reserve doesn't do quite as much as out there. Goldman Sachs went a little far, I thought, in saying it could happen every meeting. Um, there is the possibility, of course, that the inflation does chill off. One of your other uh, speakers was talking about that later this year. Uh, and in that case, the Fed won't mm-hmm. do as much right now. What you have is the best forecast out there. And all you can do is trade it.
2: Um, we may go unabated uh, to the end today, Steve. I just don't know. Uh, stay with me. Um, I- I'm just reading on Twitter Uh, as well uh, from our own Jim Labenthal, of course, Farmer Jim. Uh, He's tweeting, today is capitulation. This is exactly what it looks like. I've started nibbling, but will do most of my buying in the last hour. Let me ask the folks in the control room if you can get Jim Labenthal on the phone for us. I want to find out exactly what what he's nibbling on. In the meantime, let's bring in Ed Yardeni. He's the president of Yardeni Research. Uh, Ed, it's good to have you back, especially in these turbulent times on the street. What are you thinking today?
8: Well, I think you got it right. Uh, the January 5th uh, minutes, uh, that was the December 15th minutes that came out on January 5 uh, They were a shock to investors. And I think what really shocked everybody was QT. I mean, we all knew that uh, and they had prepared us for uh, uh, reducing their bond purchases and down to zero uh, by, uh, by March. And they also prepared us for at least three, maybe four rate hikes over the year. Uh, but what came really out of the blue in the minutes, or at least the market uh, took it that way, was that uh, they were actually going to let their uh, balance sheet uh, run down. Now, think about it. They used to buy $120 billion per month last year in the bond market, and now they're talking about not doing that anymore. And on top of all that, I estimate an average over the next year reducing their balance sheet by $95 billion. Uh, And the markets are, are really worried about whether the Treasury market can absorb that.
2: Is it well-found worry, or, or, or are we overdoing it? Ed? Well, I, I
8: think it's definitely a taper tantrum. It's, uh, it's pretty nasty. I mean, we've had nasty taper tantrums before. We've had three altogether, and the nastiest one so far was the one back in 2018. But this one is uh, probably going to be hey, Ed, as bad, if not worse. Yeah.
1: Somebody asked I something? just want to point out, yeah. <clears throat> this, is, this is nothing like a taper tantrum. You no, have no, a 10-year... No. I- Hanging yeah. in there at 173, this right. is the market reacting. But the thing the Correct. Fed ultimately cared about with the taper tantrum was the bond market liquidity drying up. That was a dangerous set of situations. But I just think it's a little bit off base to compare this to a taper tantrum, at least in the bond market, which, as Rick Santelli points out, is behaving very well despite what's going on in stocks.
8: Yeah, I I didn't finish my thought on on this taper tantrum. I I think the big difference between this taper tantrum, if you'll allow me to call it that, and and the previous three is that uh, this one, there's no backing off on. I mean, the inflation problem is a problem. I mean, they're they can't do what they did in May of 2013, early 2016 and 2018 and say, OK, we're, we're, we're going to uh, talk more dovish now. This time around, they have to continue to talk hawkish. But with what the market's doing, I think they're going to have to uh, take it a little bit easier on the hawkish talk, especially since the market definitely freaked out over QT. And I think clearly in the press conference, you're going to be asking and the other reporters are going to be asking, what is the deal with QT? Uh, aren't you concerned that you're overdone it, that you're about to make a policy mistake, that that's what the markets are saying.
2: You know, Joe Taranova, I'm looking at a a headline today from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who says of what we're witnessing here in the market is winter, that winter is finally here. Remember, he has been calling for a a fire or ice or both uh, for many months, and he may be uh, a little bit late in his his ability to forecast exactly what's going to happen but it does appear to be uh, heavy snow now falling on the street. He says investor attention should now turn away from the Fed and to the ice part of our narrative, slowing growth. We've been monitoring PMIs and earnings revisions. Breath for signs the slowdown is bottoming, but it has quite a bit further to go in our view, and equity markets are not yet priced for it. Um, How do you view that statement? You can take it a couple of ways. okay? Yes, the PMIs today across the board, all three reads, uh, were disappointing. But again, I, I just find it hard to believe that we're still going to be talking about a slowing economy in a month or two, uh, despite the Fed. When we get on the other side of when we get on on the other side of uh, Omicron and you get into the spring and the summer, people are going to be traveling. They're going to be spending money. I mean, unless there's a massive market dislocation or something dramatic happens to the economy and households start feeling that much you know, worse. I I just wonder whether this is a growth scare or a real legitimate beginning of a slowdown.
6: So my response to that would be what we're doing right now is we're challenging the resiliency of the consumer and its spending and also profitability. And that's really going to ultimately provide the roadmap for whether this is going to be a double-digit correction or if this is going to be the onset of a longer duration bear market, which I don't suspect it will be. But we're not focusing enough on profitability and the forward guidance. Your profit margins at all-time highs right now, Scott. Just think back to last week, Netflix's guidance was awful. If we're now going to go through a process where companies are going to be uh, disappointing in terms of what the guidance is, well, that's another condition, a negative one, that markets are ultimately going to have to digest. So I, I go back to where I began the show. I, I just think this is, this is not so much the stock the stock market. This this is more a market of stocks. And there's a little basket of stocks that you can begin, uh, to Jim Labenthal's point, to begin uh, to buy those stocks. And then there's other stocks. I think it's like 2,000. I wouldn't touch them.
2: Let's take a look at the major averages uh, as we speak, which are continuing their sell-off. The Dow is just down... 1100 points. It's come a touch off of that. But nonetheless, you're looking at declines across the board today of at least three percent. And in the Nasdaq's case, you're near a five percent decline. What we've been calling the epicenter of the sell off. What's unique today is that you're not getting it with accompanying rising yields. The 10 year note yield is at 172, but you still have a significant upset within the Nasdaq. What Jim Labenthal has tweeted moments ago, suggesting that today is capitulation, that this is what it looks like and that he himself has at least started nibbling within the market. He's on the phone uh, as we speak. Uh, Jim Labenthal, I appreciate you calling in. I noticed your tweet. I want to know exactly what you're nibbling on. What are you telling our viewers to do?
0: Yeah, well, first off, I'm telling our, telling our viewers to buy um, and I'll let them decide what to buy. Right now, I'm stepping in on Greenbrier, which is an old friend. OK, this is a rail car manufacturer. It's a small cap stock. It's as cyclical a company as you can find. Um, Also stepping in on Twilio just a little bit. Maybe that's my nod to Kathy Wood, but that's as far as I'm going. I'm not doing any other stocks in her universe. Um, Also buying wind resorts. You know, it was two weeks ago that the news came out that Macau looks a heck of a lot better in terms of uh, license renewal than it did just a little while ago. Um, And then another small cap company in the aerospace sector called DuPamien. So what you're hearing from me, Scott, is This looks like capitulation to me. And, you know, when you have a correction, you have to have this washout capitulation day in order to bottom. And I I think this is it. Now, John was saying something, Dr. J was saying that he thinks they're loading up at the end of the day. I agree, that's how it usually works. So I'm saying plenty of dry powder to the end of the day. But my punchline, Scott, this is a correction, not a true growth slowdown. You got jobs plentiful, you got infrastructure spending, you got Intel spending $20 billion on a new plant. There's just too many good things going on for this to be more than a correction. And I'll pause there because I don't want to keep droning on.
2: It's just hard to really know what a, a fair value on the market is, Jim, in a new environment in which we find ourselves. And that is uh, what may end up being a, a significant policy change from the Fed, the likes of which we haven't witnessed in minimum of a couple of years. It's it's hard to know what the right numbers are.
0: It's a great you make a fabulous point. And I would say two things in response to it. You're right. We never know what the valuation is. I'm not trying to be David Tepper on December, you know, on Christmas Eve 2018. But I will say that the market right now, based on reasonable estimates for this year, is trading at 18 and a half times this year's earnings. It's not cheap, but my goodness, it's not expensive like it was when it was 21, 22 times. And something that's been going around for a while on the show, and I hear it talked about today, is the market's doing the Fed's dirty work for it. You know, this keeps up, and the Fed will back off. I mean, Jay Powell remembers the fourth quarter of 2018. How could he Why? not?
2: Unless, Steve Leisman, he can't. Because Why? inflation is ruling the day, not <clears throat> the market itself. Steve?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure why the Powell would back off here because of what the market is doing. I, I, <clears throat> I hear a little bit of conflating in this uh, on this conversation, Scott, and I don't think it's totally wrong, but I think it's overdone—the conflating of the stock market with the economy. You have the stock market, in my opinion, going through a reevaluation because of a changed outlook for the Fed, but I don't think that that creates a need to completely reevaluate what looks to be at least the forecast now for something around 4% growth this year, which would be about double the uh, uh, potential. I still think you're going to do well. Um, I think it was Joe who said who... Yeah, yeah, uh, just real quick, I was going to say, Joe Joe pointed out earlier, profit margins are at all-time highs. Um, You could have some decline in that and still have a very profitable stock market, but not profitable companies, but not necessarily stocks at current levels. You can adjust here without having a panic at the Federal Reserve or a need to back off where he's at right now, I don't think.
2: Unless, right, the, the problem is, and it goes back to what I asked you, Jim Labenthal, you know, to what degree does the the Fed tightening impact the economy, the stock market, uh, the wealth effect, and all, and all other things, and, and the, ultimately the multiple on the market. It's a difficult question to ask as we've been talking about this valuation reset now seemingly for weeks uh, and certainly by the day it continues to occur particularly within the tech stratosphere. Just don't know what an appropriate valuation is for some of those stocks that got way ahead of themselves on the upside just as they have on the downside.
0: Scott, the, um, you know, regarding the Fed, this is one of those moments It reminds me from the scene from something about Mary where the guy says, I've got a great business proposal. Remember 10 minute abs? How about nine minute abs? What I mean by that is this is a time frame, and we've seen it before, Steve, you've certainly seen it before, Scott, you have, where everybody just falls all over each other to make more and more provocative uh, prognostications about what the Fed will do. You go back a month, six weeks ago, we weren't talking about quantitative tightening, we weren't talking about four rate hikes, we weren't talking about 50 basis points now it's every week right two weeks ago goldman sachs was content with four rate hikes i think this weekend they went to five it's kind of like you know what give me a break i don't need to go to eight minute abs um inflation shows signs of rolling over right now both in goods and in wages and sure the fed's going to raise rates but the idea that right now we're locked into four or five is, i think is folly now that's my personal opinion and i'm acting on it with my money if i'm wrong We'll find out, but I hope I'm being clear in my opinion.
2: I appreciate you sharing your opinion, Jim, with our viewers today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon for, for sure. In the meantime, I want everybody to stay with me. Sit tight if you can. Steve Leisman, you included. Ed Denny, please stand by if, if you don't mind. Let's welcome, welcome in another one of our headliners today. We do have the Kinecos founder, Jim Chanos, with us today. He's with our Leslie Picker. It is a CNBC-exclusive interview. This is taking place at a conference, uh, I believe, down in Miami. Leslie, are you with me? And, uh, Jim, are you there as well?
9: I am. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Jim, joining us from the MFA event in Miami today. An important day uh, to have you here and get your perspective. I'm curious just to kind of kick things off. Obviously, the market declining at a, a voracious pace here. Do you believe this to be short-term capitulation or do you think there's a deeper decline in store for us here?
10: Uh, well, I mean, thanks for having me, Leslie and Scott. I have, I have obviously no idea. Um, the, the excesses we've seen in 2020 and 2021 are in the process of being wrung out. And, and I don't know that, that you've been talking about the Fed for the last, I guess, uh, half hour. Um, and what it might do, but I, I would just point out that uh, the Fed, as Steve Leisman said, is, is concerned about the real economy and may not be as concerned about the stock market. Um, we had a Fed that was easing throughout 07 and 08. We had a Fed that, that probably more important for this discussion was easing from the second half of 2000 into to 3 and yet, uh, the S & p went down 40 percent, and NASDAQ went down 80 percent after the dot-com blowup. Um, the economy had a mild slowdown. That was it. So there's no preordained route here um, connecting necessarily Fed policy with how you're doing, um, you know, in your mutual funds. They may diverge, they may not. Um, you know, in my form, we're comfortable being long the indices and being short. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of kind of the craziness. Uh, I think that's still going to be kind of the way you want to be. I think you want to avoid a lot of the stuff that's still trading. I mentioned earlier this morning at 50 times 2022 or 2023 earnings. There's a lot of those and they're not necessarily in tech stocks. Um, There's a lot of sort of mundane businesses that have after 10, 12 years of a bull market are trading at just really, really expensive levels for what they are. And I think that's you got to go through your portfolio and just sort of say what really is cheap and what's necessarily just down. They might not be the same thing.
9: So what are you doing with your portfolio today? Are you covering any shorts on these declines? Are you adding to certain short positions? How are you how are you uh, trading today's market action?
10: Well, as you see, I'm not in front of a screen. I've been at the MFA conference uh, this morning. But, uh, but uh, my traders, I, you know, we have price targets. And if something is, is hitting our price targets, we would be covering it on the short side. Uh, we'd be adjusting our hedges. Uh, I think we've been slightly net long for most of 2022, about 10% net long. But, but that's sort of 80, 70% short, 60% long. Um, so we run we run you know in our hedge fund uh, as Scott knows just a, a more traditional hedge book and uh, that was very very painful in 2020 and early 2021 um, but it's been a lot less painful obviously since mid year last year as uh, a lot of sort of craziness has begun to be wrung out of this market i would note also we're at the 1 year anniversary of the meme stock craziness and um, and and those have round tripped um, which is sort of the un un Uh, spoken part of the the whole meme stock saga, is just uh, how much uh, the wrong lessons were learned from that. Uh, A lot of hedge funds uh, that are in this room, um, you know, basically shied away from idiosyncratic shorts and uh, and, and just hedged their exposure using indices. And I think actually the meme stock insanity of the first uh, half of 2021 was kind of the 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 top in those types of stories and uh, those are the kinds of companies that are that have been under pressure um, since really uh, the summer of last year
9: yeah I, I just to follow up on that does that indicate that you're not concerned about the potential for short squeezes at this level i know to your point short interest has declined to near record low levels given some of the activities that we saw a year ago this week People were concerned that they would be in single stock idiosyncratic situations that, despite fundamentals, yep. soared beyond their controls. Do you think that's no longer an issue at these levels?
10: So I've been doing this for a few years, Leslie, about 40. And one of the interesting things, one of the things we built our business on is the fact that that actually stocks with high short interest, where fundamental short sellers have come in and looked at the business and said, this is silly. This, is, this stock is trading it. 10x where it should be or 5x where it should be. Those stocks historically have underperformed the market dramatically, except in early 2021, late late 2020 and early 2021, where owning those stocks was the right thing to do, that you wanted to own the actual, the the worst companies, the worst of fundamentals, the more that factor affected performance on the upside. And, and as I said, I think that was sort of the end of that happening, not the beginning of it happening. Uh, in that, that those types of companies, over longer cycles, not month to month, week to week, you know, have dramatically underperformed the market. And so I think that that for people to have rushed into those the way they did was really a sign of speculative excess, not just in those names, but maybe in the market and in. in the highest uh, valued part of the market itself. And I, and I think that uh, that is being unwound now in, in a major way.
9: Yeah, and clearly uh, certain investors are probably kicking themselves for not having more short exposure uh, to start this year. Scott, I want to bring you into the conversation.
2: Les, I appreciate it. Jim, it's so good to have you back on our program. Um, I'll, I'll ask you, I guess, to take your, your short seller hat off for a moment. And I know at least at one point, and and forgive me, I don't know if you're still on the board of of the New York Fed. Are you worried just as a, a statesman of the market, if you will, as you said, you've been doing this for 40 years. You've seen a lot of cycles. You've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, policymakers and otherwise over the years. Do you worry today about the Fed making a policy error?
10: I was the me correct you. I was not on the board of the New York Fed. I was on the investor committee for uh, 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 about 10 years uh, and I'm no longer on it. But uh, um, my bad. OK, look, I, I appreciate like you anybody, clarifying I, that. I, no, no, no worries. Uh, but look, I like anybody. I, you know, I, we, we watch Fed policy. I think the Fed made a, a, a big error in, in 2018 um, when it when it, it blinked because the stock market was down. Um, uh, if you go back and actually look, real GDP was roughly 2 percent in the fourth quarter of 2018 and 3 percent in the first quarter of 2019. Uh, the economy really didn't slow, uh, despite the fact that they had begun tightening. And, 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 uh, but the stock market went down and, and the junk bond market went down and the Fed blinked. And, and so that was a preview for what it was going to do, obviously, in 2020 correctly in response to the pandemic. But, but hitching yourself, as Steve Leesman kind of talked about a little earlier when I overheard the conversation, to the stock market is a very dangerous thing to do. Sometimes it sends the right signal. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and I think that, that uh, the, the idea of a Fed put and the Fed is going to always be there to bail out my bad investment decisions is really not a cogent investment policy to hold on to for a long time. Because it may happen and it may not. And, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, we all obsess about the Fed and what the Fed's doing. But uh, the fact that it, it will bail out the stock market at some predetermined level of losses, I think is a very dangerous idea to uphold. Leesman, you want to just opine on that since, since Jim mentioned you specifically?
2: And that seems to be the conversation of, of yeah. the moment in, in the midst of what is a sharp sell-off in stocks. And what implication that might have on Fed policy, if any, Steve?
1: Well, when, when Chano says nice things about you, all you really want to do is take a victory lap. So I'll just, uh, you know, let it sit there for a minute. But really, um, the, the the story I think this time is <laughs> the Fed needs the market to do its bidding. And the more the market does its bidding, the less the Fed has to do. I do think this time around the put strike price, which... Of course, we can have an an argument as whether it even exists, which is at what level the Fed would come in. I think it's a little lower this time for the stock market, in part because the bond market has been quite so well behaved and other parts of the economy are marching to a pandemic tune more than they are to an interest rate tune. We've talked a bit about that, Scott, how so much of the economy is really on a pandemic schedule. Um, And you talked about it earlier, like What's going to happen on the other side of this Omicron wave? You're going to have uh, uh, people going out again, doing services. So you're going to have this continued acceleration in parts of the economy, regardless of what happens with interest rates. So I think the Fed is going to be less sensitive this time around than it would be. Yes, there are levels that do bring the Federal Reserve in for two reasons. We've talked about these a lot. The first is the uh, systemic risk issue. And the second is the issue of the blowback of lower stock prices on economic growth if it gets too bad. I just think the Fed's tolerance this time around may be higher for lower stock prices.
2: Ed Denny, do you agree with that?
8: Well, I do. I, I think, as I said, uh, this uh, in this situation, the Fed really is not in a position to back off the way it was in previous taper tantrums. And uh, I, I think the, the Fed uh, can tolerate a weaker market here. They're not going to come in and and and, and uh, say okay we're we're backing off they, they can't back off and, and I, I think what the market is concerned about is, is uh, has been i think you said and others have said is that the fed really has already made its big mistake and now it's going to have to try to figure out how to uh, work it out without doing more damage and its big mistake was just uh, being overly easy uh, last year for too long and not uh, recognizing that inflation was more of a problem or at least not uh, marketing it as a transitory phenomenon they didn't know that and they shouldn't they shouldn't have said that they should have said you know we've got a problem with inflation we we we're not sure whether it's it's going to be we're not sure how long it's going to last and uh, we have to start talking as sooner rather than later about moving towards more hawkish stance so i'm i'm in sync with uh with, with uh both what steve's saying and what what you said before
2: and Jim Chanos, you know, uh, Leslie really hit on a, what I think is the the most interesting point as it relates to you. Now I'll ask you to put your short seller hat back on. When she asked you, you know, <laughs> a, as a short seller, I'd, I'd love to get a psychology uh, lesson on this. When you've been short a bunch of names and they have such a severe dislocation, many of them as we are witnessing now, um, is the tendency to to step on the short even more or to take your foot off the gas and cover and you may not get the, the bottom tick that you once had in mind, but in such a severe and quick, and this has really been quick uh, downturn, particularly in NASDAQ and some of those technology names, are you covering more than you're pressing?
10: Well, it depends, as I said, Scott, it, it, we're stock pickers, as you know, so it, it depends on the name. And, and if, if something has collapsed, we will be covering it. We're buyers on weakness and sellers on strength. And so uh, but but what I will tell you is there are just an awful lot of names in our universe, both in the U.S. and globally, that are, you know, only slightly off their highs. And and we're, we're all looking at the damage that's occurring in, in the Nasdaq and some of the growth names, uh, justifiably so in, in many cases. But there are an awful lot of companies, as I said, that whether they're reopening plays, whatever they might be, that the market has run into. That are 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 probably uh, uh, dramatically overvalued here, and so I think that you have to look at it as Jim Labenthal said earlier on a stock by stock basis. In our hedge fund, we are still slightly net long, um, but I think the beta of our shorts is higher than than certainly our index long. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we're we're mm-hmm. pretty hedged, but uh, I don't I don't mind being Johnny. long the market at 18 times earnings and 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 short our stuff. Sure. John Najarian. Yeah, um, I just want
7: to, uh, number one, agree with Chanos and Yardeni, Scott, about what they see as far as, you know, the Fed waited way too long. But I don't think it means that the Fed has to stop what they're doing. I think they could just kind of give us an indication. That the people that are calling for five rate hikes this year and an accelerated QE are probably not going to get what they want. The Fed will do what they have to do. They did wait too long. But I'd love to hear either Ed or Jim speak to the idea that the Fed can do a number of things without ceasing on that uh, move against inflation. They could uh, not eliminate QE, and they could more or less indicate that two rather than five are what we should be looking for. I think the markets and the economy would be better off with that outlook, Scott.
2: Yeah. Um, edgar jenny I'm going to let you run uh, as we wind down. Uh, we've got about a little more than 10 minutes to go in our program. I, I do want to touch the market picture uh, once again. And Ed, I so much appreciate you being with us today and uh, sharing your perspective with the investment committee and, and certainly our, our viewers. Let's take a look at the major averages one more time this moment, uh, down nine eighteen nine twenty one or so on the Dow, 33.3 is where the Dow Jones Industrial Average currently is. The S&P, 4257, that's 4,257. That's a loss of a little more than 3%. NASDAQ has come off of its worst levels. Remember, at one point today, it was approaching a 5% decline. It was pretty ugly in the NASDAQ. It still is by All uh, accounts, obviously, down 525 points, 13,243. And we do watch yields on this eve of what is a pivotal Fed meeting. The 10-year note yield is at 172. Uh, Steve Weiss, you have something for Jim Chanos before we let him go as well?
4: I do. I'm actually surprised, Jim, that you said you're comfortable buying with the uh, market P.E. at 18 times when... We really haven't overshot yet, to your point, and the valuation umbrella that we benefited from with those high P.E. stocks made normal stocks have a high P.E. as well. It seems sane. So why wouldn't you wait, given what the Fed's going to do, and I think we both agree on that, until the market comes down a bit lower? It's not very comfortable. It's still at a premium to what historically trades at at 18
10: Well, Steve, you forgot the other part of the balance sheet. I'm selling stuff at 50, 60, and 70 times.
4: I I guess so. I guess so. But I'd wait in that long side also, Jim. Uh,
2: Yeah. Hey, uh, Leslie, do you have one last thing uh, for Jim? Again, and I so much appreciate you bringing this interview for us as well. Why don't you wrap it up for us?
9: Thank you, Scott. No, I appreciate uh, you allowing this interview to take place as well. Uh, Jim, just one more question, kind of going back to... What we were discussing about the retail investor margin debt levels going into uh, this recent sell-off at or near record highs. What do you think is going to be the broader impact with regard to kind of the retail investing community uh, after these losses, after we kind of sift through the damage? Do you think that they'll still continue to be active participants here?
10: I'm worried about that, Leslie. It's a good question. In fact, I've talked about it a little bit in my talk here at MFA. Uh, I mean, if you go into Wall Street Bets, Reddit, Twitter, and you look, uh, given the fact that, as I mentioned, the meme stocks have pretty much round-tripped, the amount of cognitive dissonance that I see in the retail investment community—and I know it's it's only somewhat representative—but it's pretty broad, and and the amount of of, of just anger that these retail investors have uh, toward the SEC, toward hedge funds, toward whatever um after having made just awful investment decisions quite frankly and 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 i'm I'm going to be very frank about that i mean people buying amc at seventy two dollars or buying gamestop at four hundred dollars and openly crowing that they don't care about fundamentals and then and then completely you know wanting to blame others when when they lose money in these trades it's a little bit frightening and and i think it might be a good case study in behavioral finance going forward But um, I really do think that that a lot of the advent of retail trading in vehicles like Robinhood or whatever that made it very easy to buy stocks or buy options, um, we're going to see the flip side of that coin going forward. I think a lot of people have lost a lot of money and that's before we even get into crypto. Um, And I, I think that is going to be and it is very reminiscent of what I saw in 99 and 2000 with the advent of day trading and the first time we saw online brokerage. And you know those, those investors, by and large, never came back. And um, I know Gary Gensler at the SEC has is, is warned about this, and others have warned about this, but I, I still worry we're gonna learn the wrong lessons from it.
9: Yeah, I think the plight of the retail investor is something we'll be paying a lot of attention to uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Jim Chanos, thank you so much for joining us from Miami. We really appreciate it.
10: My pleasure, thanks for having me. Scott? All
2: right, Les, thank you so much. Jim Chanos, of course, our our thanks to you as well. Steve Leisman, my thanks to you. Uh, You'll be a busy man over the next 48 hours. I'm sure we'll see you again on the Halftime Report over that period of time. We are going to take a quick break. I still have unusual activity from Dr. J I need to get to. I have a couple more trades that you need to know about. We've got finals, all of it, on the other side of this break. We're off the lows. It is still a very rough day on the street. There's red all over the place. We're back on the Halftime Report in two minutes. It's unusual activity time. Dr. J, tell us quickly what you see today.
7: All right, Scott. A whole bunch of speculation in the airline stocks just out of the blue. Uh, United, Delta, American. So I'm going to cite United because March 46 calls, bought, bought, bought with that right about $40 a share. Second one, Scott, here's a little hope for f- people. Last Thursday, the VXX, that ETN, was trading about 19 Today, it spiked over 25. They're buying puts in the VXX, thinking it comes back down by February, Scott. So I'm in those as well.
2: OK, I uh, appreciate that, Dr. J. Uh, noting as well as we continue to discuss the markets in the few minutes that we have left. Uh, Joe Terranova, I'm noticing uh, here Bitcoin is now uh, turning green. Uh, interesting there. It's been you know, correlated to, to risk assets Uh, for such, it seems, a long period of time. So Bitcoin looks like it's gone green. Keep our eyes on uh, other parts of the market, too. What are you going to be watching over these final few hours, Joe?
6: Well, I think, as John spoke about before, the last hour has been very important. That's where it seems to be. There's a lot of inventory for sale. And I think it's important to understand volatility is here to stay, Scott. I think this is going to be a year right into the midterm elections where we see above average volatility.
2: Yeah, I should also let you know, I promised you a Tom Lee interview uh, today as well. We've been trying to connect with him. Technology, unfortunately, is is not uh, cooperating with us today. So if we can't do it today, hopefully we'll hear from him uh, in the next day or so. Just wanted to give you an update there as we see uh, the VIX at 36. Uh, Bryn, again, same question to you over these last few hours. Is there something specific that you're going to be watching for?
5: Well, I think I think John and John and Joe you know, hit on it is you want to see if all of a sudden everyone's going to pile on and the hedge funds and the CTAs are going to sell the clothes. But ultimately, this is starting to get I do agree with Jim starting feeling like capitulation. People are really uncomfortable and especially in the high growth names. Just like last year in early 2021 and late 2020, people said energy was uninvestable for a bunch of different reasons. Fast forward almost two years, it's been the best performing asset class. Today, people are saying high growth tech is uninvestable. Let's see how long that stays. But for today, I want to see what kind of capitulation or lack of we have going into the close today.
2: Yeah, it's it, it certainly, Joe, it, it's, it's interesting to think about uh, all of this. You know what, Joe, I'll get you in a second. I want to hear from Rob Siechen. And forgive me, Joe, I haven't heard from Rob in a while. And, and Rob, I, I apologize for that. But I, I'd love for you to opine, too. Uh, in the few minutes that we have left on what you're going to be looking for over these final few hours of this at least day.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, last what last week markets behaved terribly selling off at the end of each day. That's that's not a great sign. I was like Jim hoping to see a capitulation day like this. I think it came really early. I would have liked it to have happened a little later because I still think there is more time that we need to digest the pivot in the Fed's stance. And remember, Markets desensitize the news that's out there for a long time, and I think the Fed has done a good job in putting this out there. And markets will eventually desensitize to it and repivot and focus on the growth that we think we're going to see, and that growth is going to be global. And hopefully, you know, inflation is uh, is outweighed by a global growth and negative real rates.
2: This is what I was wondering, whether, you know, you guys were going to have a look at certain things in the market uh, that had just overdone it in your estimations. And Steve Weiss, uh, they just told me, our producer, uh, Patty Martell, just told me that you just bought Facebook.
4: Yeah, I didn't just buy it. I bought it a little while ago. It struck me that the stock was down, I don't know, the lows. Didn't get the lows. But down 13, down 12 when I bought it. Just seemed ridiculous. It's a great trading stock. If the market doesn't rally and I'm still negative, I'm not getting positive, then what's my downside? Another couple of bucks. But if it rallies, then I pick up a quick 10 bucks, maybe eight bucks. So that's why I did Facebook.
2: Just just meaning in the last uh, several minutes. But uh, thank you for correcting me nonetheless, uh, Steve Weiss, since you have to be so exact. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Dr. J, uh, final trades. Why don't you start us off?
7: Marvell. Marvell Scott bought it during the show.
2: Okay, Joe? Amgen. Okay, Bryn?
5: Viper Energy. It's come off a couple bucks.
2: Okay, Rob?
3: J.P. Morgan. Got hit lately. We still like it a lot.
4: All right, Steve? Facebook just way too cheap.
2: All right, guys, I appreciate it. Dow's down eight thirty. Two or thereabouts, as I see, that does it for us. I'll send it to the exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
11: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.